Okay, let me begin by asking you a question. If you know the answer, raise your hand and I'll call you up here to explain (laughs) what you're saying. All right, who here has heard of Transnistria? Okay, Transnistria is a small country between Romania and Ukraine. Pretty small, insignificant country. Who here has heard of North Korea? Raise your hand. Okay, small country, just south of China. Now, no one's heard of Transnistria, and yet all of us have heard of North Korea. And they're very similar, similar population, similar GDP, all that kind of stuff. You know, North Korea is not a significant country. It has a population of the greater New York City area. And yet we've all heard of North Korea. Why is that? Because they keep poking us, right? They just keep poking us like poke, 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 poke. Now, what chance if they provoked us to war, what chance does North Korea have to win that war? Zero, right? The same chance of any team beating the Patriots. (laughs) Is Tom Brady cheating again? I think he's cheating. I don't watch football, but I watch like the the YouTube. It gives you like the entire game in seven minutes. I love that. So I watched that on that game. Oh my goodness. It was like lousy, lousy, lousy. All of a sudden they're a different team. I'm like, they just stole their plans. It's like they knew what the defense was going to do. It was, yeah, they're cheating. Cheaters. (laughs) I know I'm at the emails from the Patriot fans. I just say, check the balls, man. Check those things. So they have no chance of winning this and they keep poking. North Korea just keeps poking. Why do they do that? Here's why. There was an event that occurred almost 50 years ago to the day, January of 1968. North Korea went out and attacked a US ship called the USS Pueblo. They attacked that ship. They took that ship. They grabbed all the sailors. They made them POWs for almost an entire year. They forced America to make these concessions to them, concession after concession after concession. Lyndon Johnson, the president at that time says this, that's the event that kept him up at night. Not the war in Vietnam, not the assassination of JFK. It's that event, the most embarrassing event in U.S. Navy history. To this day, North Korea keeps the ship. It's still a commissioned U.S. Navy ship. Keeps it, turned it into a museum, and they parade all of their soldiers through that ship showing how great and powerful North North Korea is, that they can poke the United States and win. Historians say this. It is that event 50 years ago that makes North Korea believe to this day they can poke us and win. How crazy is that? That event 50 years ago still gives them the audacity to just, uh, us. And so we have these crazy tweets about how big the button is on the president's desk. And then we have their president calling our president a dotard. Like what in the world is a dotard? Remember that? Like, where'd you get that word? Did you get that from a dictionary on a ship from 1968? Let me send you a new dictionary because there's much better offensive words you could use, Right? And we have all these things all because of an event back 50 years ago. 
people in Hawaii 10 days ago hiding their children in sewer drains because really of an event that took place 50 years ago. My point is simple. We think we live in this autonomous kind of sphere today where we can make decisions and we kind of guide our own history. No way, no way. The way we live and what we're able to do today is directed by history. Life's stage is shaped by history. Like North Korea in our relationship. All right, I say that because we're beginning a book that I think the 30 years of this book that it covers has shaped world history like no other 30 year period ever in human civilization. That we owe Western civilization to the events of the book of Acts. We would not have what we know today as Western civilization without the book of Acts. That the abolishing of the slave trade, which had happened through all of human history, that we owe the abolishing of the slave trade to the events of the book of Acts. World literacy, trace that back, Gutenberg, all that stuff. World literacy, it traces its roots back to the events of the book of Acts. Modern medicine was unheard of came out of the events of the book of Acts. We've talked about this many times, right? The United States of America, our founding documents, Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights, Constitution, those things, if you trace them back, they have roots that dig into the events of the book of Acts. The protection of women and children and labor laws, they tra trace their way back to this historic book. It's an amazing book. My hope as we study it, and we'll study it Wednesday night, verse by verse, we'll go through it. My hope as we study is this, we start making history in Grants Pass, that we shape and change the history of our community because of what we're reminded and told the people of Jesus can do, okay? So that's my hope. We're gonna crack the seal today. So open, if you would, to Acts chapter one, verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. I have a two-part message, fairly simple. First point, verse one says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The book of Acts is part two. In fact, the manuscripts we have of Acts and Luke, many of them were actually sewed together in the middle. That this was, that it was a two-part book. And so what Luke is saying, the author of Acts, he's saying, hey, remember Theophilus. 
that this thing doesn't begin here. It begins in the other book I wrote to you. That's part one. This is part two. And if you don't get part one, part two will never work. You ever come in midway through a conversation and been like lost or start a book midway through like a series and you're lost, you can't figure things out? That happens, you miss parts. So Wednesday night, Matt Hamilton, who led praise for us, uh, he's our kids guy. So we switched spots. He taught Wednesday and I went down and helped out with the kids. So I was in the third through fifth class. I'm sitting right in the middle of all these third through, no, second through fifth graders. It's actually where I belong. They're my peer group. So I, I was just, I fit in. And Justin's teaching, he's doing his teaching. And I'm sitting there. And in passing, Justin mentions the crucifixion. So this little girl who's sitting next to me, she kind of leans over to me and she says, um, what's the crucifixion? Is that like a story about a crew that's not true? Crucifixion? So I leaned in, I said, um, no, and you're going to hell. <laughs> that's evangelism, right? I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> so they fired me from kids ministry and that's why I'm back here. <laughs> you're missing a very important part of the story, right? So Luke is saying here, Luke is saying, listen, listen, I told you the first part, I dealt with what Jesus did. The core of the kind of change that we want that leads to the book of Acts does not happen in Acts. It's already had to have happened, right? And so the New Testament begins with one, two, three, four of these books and they're called the gospels. What does the gospel mean? Good news. What's news? Pre-2016, what was news? Before we got fake news, what was news? It was a report of events that happened. You watch the news to find out what happened. So the gospels are this good report of these events that happened. So I'm gonna give you a 60 second, maybe a little bit longer, synopsis of what Luke says happened, all right? God becomes one of us in Jesus. He lives a life demonstrating how life is to be lived. That from Genesis three on, humans were broken and fractured and they don't live life correctly. So Jesus, God in the flesh comes, living life correctly, demonstrating what it's supposed to look like. Front loading acceptance of broken, sinful people. A woman who had been married five times and was currently shacked up with a man who was not her husband. Jesus comes to her at a well and ministers and loves and blesses her. A woman caught in adultery, naked, thrown at his feet. They're waiting to stone her and kill her. And Jesus defends her and saves her. He says, go and sin no more. A tax collector in a tree. Tax collectors were ISIS of the time. They worked for the enemy, the occupying force called the Romans. And he says to this tax collector, hey bro, tonight you and me, let's have a meal together. He front loads acceptance and he's demonstrating the heart of the father towards us, which is, I want none to perish. Come receive my love, receive my acceptance. So Jesus lives that life, showing us what the father is like. But we said, no, we will not have this man rule over us. Crucify him. 
And on the cross, we send our sins violently into Jesus. But there on the cross, he again demonstrates God's heart where he says, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. Over and over, he shows us God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Brilliantly. So the cross, the crucifixion, is not something God did. The cross is actually who God is. His pursuit of broken, sinful people. That he doesn't kill his enemies, you and me. He dies for his enemies, you and me. And here's the best part. When we finally surrender to God's pursuit of us, when we finally say, okay, I give up. When we finally surrender to his pursuit of us and we believe in what Jesus has done for us, then what happens is the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that we have been brought into a kingdom of darkness. But the moment we believe in what Jesus has done for us, the good news, what happens is we are translated from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we are adopted as sons and daughters of King Jesus, no matter what we've done, good, bad, or ugly, based completely and totally on the work of Jesus Christ. And if we were charismatic, we'd stand up and say, amen. We're Edgewater, so at least smile. <laughs> That's the gospel. It's brilliant. So what Luke says is, listen, listen, you don't get Acts. You don't get part two unless you get part one. And what's sad sometimes to me is, is in church, we can skip over the good news and then we can, we can do something else because we just want the Acts. Just give me the Acts. Just give me the duties. Just give me stuff to do. So then church ceases to be this gospel transformed society. And it becomes what I call either traffic school, where you have a judge up here telling you, hey, pay this due when the plate goes by. And here's some things you need to do. And here's some classes you need to take that you're going to forget and never do. So it becomes that, or it becomes tea time. A nice guy, me, telling you, nice people, to go be nicer right? If you've been at Edgewater for any time, you know, that's not me. I tell people that come here, they're like, Hey, I was at so-and-so's church and, uh, you know, that pastor offended me. So now I'm here. I'll say, give me one week, bro. I'm an equal opportunity offender, right? I'll tell little girls, go to, they're going to hell, right? I'll offend you real quick. Trust me. All right. It becomes one of those two things. And then the only thing you have for a message is then I call it, give me the goods messages. Tell me how to be a better parent. Tell me how to be a better husband. Tell me how to be a better wife. Tell me how to be a better worker. Tell me how to be a better me. Give me the goods. Give me the ax message. But you never do it because you can't. See, I believe this. The only lasting transformation that happens in a person does not happen through traffic court, behavioral modification or trying harder or self-esteem, you're good enough, you're smart enough, people like you. It does not happen that way. So the theological underpinning of everything I'm gonna talk about is always, listen, part one, step one, is what Jesus has done for you. And you believe that, and you receive that into yourself. And anything else is simply putting a Disney princess Band-Aid on a malignant tumor, cute, but worthless. It starts, Luke says, 
with what Jesus has done for you and me. That's where it starts. The core of Christianity is never about you or me or what we have done or what we have not done. The core of Christianity is always that Jesus has come. The king has landed. His mission has succeeded. He defeated sin and death and evil powers. And he substituted himself for you and me. And when you believe on him, that life that Jesus lived is implanted into you. It's called a seed in Matthew 13. And it begins to grow and it transforms you. That's the gospel. And without that implanted life, you're watering a rock. There'll be no change in your life. Okay, so here's the illustration I tried to use that maybe sums it up. And I use it this summer. So it comes from talking with couples and hearing this seems to happen frequently. A wife will say this to her husband, honey, you have stopped doing fill in the blank. You've stopped giving me a kiss when you go to work. You stopped giving me a hug when you come home. You stopped making me that cup of tea in the morning. You stopped taking out the trash, whatever it is. She's got some kind of fill in the blank. So the husband then says, note to self, I need to do fill in the blank, right? So that evening rolls around. The husband all of a sudden remembers, ah, right, I gotta do blank. So then the husband gives wife a kiss, hug, takes out the trash, makes a cup of tea, whatever, does it. And the husband's like, yes. And the wife says, why did you just do that? I I thought that's what you wanted. You only did that because I told you to do it. Right, that's totally why I did it. Yeah, that is. Well, then it doesn't count. Oh, this is too complicated, right? Anyone. (laughs) Okay, here's what the wife is saying. And this is very dangerous for me to say that I'm gonna tell you what a wife says. I know that. I'm in really, really thin ice right now. But what she hoped for is this. She wants your life to be shaped by something so that what you do is a product of the love that you guys share with each other, not a reminder on your iPhone, 8.30 p.m., hug your wife. (laughs) That's what she's saying, okay? That's That's only something that when we talk about Christianity, that's only something that happens, not by having a bunch of rules or messages, how to do all these things. That only happens when Jesus says, I will put my life in you and it will be watered and God will give an increase in your life and you'll be transformed. And what you do will not be a product of duties and rules and regulations. What you do will actually be who you are, naturally, beautifully, incredibly. That's why Luke says, dude, this is part two. The acts that you're going to do, if you don't get Jesus's life planted in you, this is never going to work. You gotta have his life planted in you. Has Jesus planted his life in you? Has that work begun in you? Have you done step one, surrender to God's pursuit and love for you? That he wants none to perish, but all to come to forgiveness. Have you surrendered to that and allowed his life to come into you? If you haven't, then this is just Band-Aid on a malignant tumor. It's just watering a rock. But if it has, oh, you've taken step one. Well, man, I've done that. And yet I still feel like I'm lacking. Okay, point number two, verse four. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay? We get the implanted life of Jesus through the gospel. We get the empowered life of King Jesus by his spirit. That the gospel life is not something that we admire and we kind of look at and we set it on a shelf and walk away. The gospel life is to be experienced. And it's experienced through God's spirit. And I know the moment that I talk about God's spirit and the Holy Spirit, there are at least two reactions that happen in this crowd. Reaction number one is the guy that's like, oh boy, I've been waiting for this message on God's spirit for 10 years. You buy your anointing oil at Costco by the case. Right now you're fumbling to get it out because you want to slap some oil on somebody. You want to pray the demons out. You want to have the tongues flow, flags flying. We're going to do real Christianity now. Praise Jesus. See, I can do it too. Right? That, that's, it needs work. Huh? Okay. I need God's spirit. So you got that side. And then over here you have the crew that's, Trinity is actually God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. We don't even want to talk about the Spirit. Because then, you know, things get weird, chaotic, uncomfortable. The pastor goes, three little pigs on us, huff and puff and blows us over. I don't like that stuff. So, so those are like the, the competing sides. And there's all kinds of stuff in the middle. Let me try to balance this for you. Because I believe in the Bible, there is only one human that lived a fully spirit-empowered life. You know who that is? Jesus. And the understanding of this was radical to me because I grew up in the church. We live right next to the church. We, were, we did church. That's, that's, that's all I did. I went to a school that was in the church and we were at the church every single night. And my understanding of Jesus was like this. Okay, Jesus is a man but he's also God. He's God. How tough could life be? I mean, he's God, right? So I thought of Jesus like, a, here's the metaphor. I thought of him like Clark Kent, right? He, he's Superman in disguise. That if you could tear open Jesus' robe, underneath could be a big giant S. That yeah, he was, he was a man, but you know what? He was still bulletproof. He still had x-ray vision. He could still read people's minds. He could still run faster than a speeding Tesla, right? <laughs> He was still super strong. So, I mean, he's not really human. He's supernatural from somewhere else and he comes down here and he's supernatural, right? He's not really human. But then I started reading the gospels and I found that he got tired and he got hungry. And this was the big one for me, Matthew 26. He got depressed to the point of wanting to die. That didn't sound like Clark Kent to me. And so I have a new metaphor for Jesus. He's actually, a better metaphor, Bruce Banner. Who knows who Bruce Banner is, right? Bruce Banner, the Incredible Hulk. So Bruce Banner, normally, is just your average every guy day. 
right? He's not bulletproof. He can't see through walls. He's not able to fly. He's none of those things. He could die really easily. He's just, he's ordinary. But then every once in a while, something happens and what's inside of Bruce Banner, boom, pops out. And I think you see that in Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Like he's ordinary. And then all of a sudden, what's inside of Jesus, for a moment, boom, oh, something else. That he actually lived life demonstrating how you and I can live life as fully spirit-empowered people. That if you wanna look at what a Holy Spirit-empowered person looks like, it's Jesus, that he did it. If you read the gospels, what you find is he's baptized in the spirit. He's led by the spirit. In fact, Luke, Luke 4, 18, the first time Jesus says, here's what I'm doing, he says this, the spirit of God has anointed me too. And then he says, this is what I'm gonna do. He is the first and only completely spirit-filled person. And everything he does, he does through the power of God's spirit. It's Philippians 2, he takes all of his God power and he puts it in his back pocket. It's called kenosis or the emptying. And then he does everything he does throughout his life by the power of God's spirit, demonstrating how you and I can do that. Yes, I could call 72,000 angels right now, but I'm not because I'm living life as an empowered human. Now here's why this matters. Jesus chooses these people we call the disciples. Let's be honest about the disciples. Not the sharpest knives in the drawer, right? They're petty, they're vindictive. They argue about who's the greatest. One gets rebuked as Satan. I mean, they're not the best crew, right? Jesus over and over says this to them, ye of little faith. Like it becomes their nickname. They hear someone say little faith, they're like, yeah, what do you want? Talking to me? I mean, that's that bad, right? Well, Matt, after the resurrection, they had faith. Oh, really? One of my favorite verses is Matthew 28, 17. Jesus has died, been buried, resurrected, and he's about to ascend into heaven. And Matthew 28, 17 says, they worship Jesus, but then it says, some doubted. At least two of the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, I just don't know. I got a brother-in-law in Vegas that does this kind of stuff all the time. I just don't know, you know, I don't know if he's God or not, right? After the resurrection, these are not your Harvard, MIT people. These are very ordinary, earthy people like you and me. That's what they were. At his betrayal, they flee, they're afraid, they betray, they curse. What changes them? What changes these ordinary 11 into the people that write history in Acts? Read chapter five, it's unbelievable. In Acts chapter five, you have them put into prison by the powers of the state, when they are released, it says they beat them. 39 lashes with a cat of nine tail. Leather straps with metal and glass embedded in it with a big lead ball on it. Its design was to shred the meat off a person's back. That happens to them. In Acts 5.41, it says this. They rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. They leave that, they're high-fiving each other. Praise God, we got beaten. 
Look at my back. What do you mean? Look, you can see my backbone. Praise Jesus. All right. What happened? You read the gospels. You're like, oh, it'll never work. You read Acts. You're like, what in the world? They talk about Jesus and 3000 people believe. And look at a guy born crippled. They say a couple words to him. He stands up. They sell everything they own and give it to poor people. They have peace and unity to deal with problems. What, what happened? These are different people. What happened? What happened is verse five. They waited and they were filled with God's spirit. The implanted life of Jesus was also the empowered life of King Jesus. They were given his spirit. And they shaped history. My hope in the book of Acts is that we get shaken because sometimes we need it. I was thinking about like even when I'll prepare a message, like what's my hope in that message? My hope sometimes is, you know, even my prayers Sunday morning are like, oh, Jesus, help me not to forget my lines. Help people to laugh every once in a while. Help someone to just say amen. Help, help everything to go well, you know? No, no sound issues, no, no, right? And, and, I, and I was thinking about that, like, those are low expectations. Those are low expectations for the king of the universe's life in me and the king of the universe's spirit in me. Those are low expectations. God, forgive me. Forgive me. How about you when you open your Bible? When you pray? When you share Jesus? Or when you come together? What are your expectations? I think maybe we gotta repent of our low expectations. Or what we become is, is trained fleas. You know a flea? Google flea circus. Before there was the internet, they had flea circuses. Oh, the world's gone down. But a flea is like this amazing little creature. They have this hormone that kicks out. They, can, they're the, they have the high jump record of the animal kingdom. They can jump 150 times their height. And they got this massive strength. So they, they, they put these little circuses together of fleas. And they could train a flea. Here's how. You put a flea in a jar and you put a lid on that jar. That flea will jump up with all of its strength and all of its power. It'll hit its head on that lid. Maybe 10 times. Maybe 15 times. And then all of a sudden it'll stop. You stop hearing the tick, tick, tick of it hitting its head. And then from that point on, it'll jump just a millimeter below that lid. And you can take that lid off and it will never jump out of that jar because it's been trained. Is that what happens to us? Man, I tried sharing. I tried praying. I tried the Bible. I'm not going to jump high anymore. Oh, God, forgive us of our low expectations. God, forgive us for saying, well, it's just the way that I am. I'll never change. What? The disciples. Look what happened to them. They become something supernatural. What was in them started to come out of them. And they were transformed. God, forgive us. It's just my habit. It's the way I was born. God, forgive us. The mountains of Grants Pass, these mountain problems, they're too big. How dare we say that? How dare we say that, that they're unmovable? How dare we say that? The king of the universe has implanted his life in me and you. 
and given his spirit to me and you, how dare we say he can't move a mountain? I don't care what it is. My hope is this, that the book of Acts puts into us something that we come out of here like thunder and lightning and Grant's past has changed. That's my hope. And that's my prayer. That's my prayer for myself. And today we end by being able to come up here and partake in the life of Jesus. That's what we're doing. Read John 6. We're partaking the life of Jesus. And I would ask as you eat and drink this day that maybe you consider for a moment, what are my expectations? What do I expect as I eat and drink of the king and ruler, creator and sustainer of the cosmos? What do I expect? And maybe just maybe we need to repent and like the disciples of Acts, we need to expect great things from our King. So Father, forgive me. Forgive me for hitting my head and not having the faith to try again. Forgive me for coming to your table, the table of the king of the universe, without giddy anticipation for the great work that you're gonna do. Forgive me for opening scripture and forgetting that it's alive and quick and powerful. Forgive me for forgetting that your hope for me is to rule and reign with you forever. Forgive me for forgetting your mind towards me, which is exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or even think for your glory and for your kingdom. Forgive us, shake us. And may we see Grant's past, Josephine County, Murphy, Merlin, Wolf Creek, transformed like the book of Acts. We pray this in your name, amen.